0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Jenny.
0: And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805, as well as the traditional lands of the Gemanos, Tonkawa, Lipan Apache. Kohitikon, and Comanche. And today's text, Billie Eilish, The World's A Little Blurry, was filmed in part in Los Angeles, California, the traditional lands of the Chumash, Tongva, and Kish. And Jenny, this is a bit of a weird situation because Brenna is not here, but you are here.
1: Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: Ah, well, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to step in. So, folks, Brenna is taking a brief sabbatical, and in her place, I have invited some former guests and some friends to come onto the podcast and do some one off episodes with me. And Jenny was kind enough to bring this Billie Eilish documentary to my attention, and I thought it would make for a great little mini-sode. My Invisalign has. <laughs> I have taken I out my Invisalign. Have taken I was... out my Invisalign, and this is the album. <laughs> This is my parents' bed, and I sleep in here because I'm scared of monsters. Today's the day to celebrate. We made this album in a
1: bedroom at our house that we grew up in, so it's really like anything is possible. I honestly don't know how any artist of any age is doing it without a parent. Is that Million? Yeah. Oh my god.
0: Step on the glass. Staple your tongue. Uh. bury your friend. I wanna end me.
1: Bad again. End me. No.
0: I wanna, I wanna, I wanna end me. Boom. I wanna end
1: me. Woo!
0: Today I oh gotta sell my soul, cause I can't say no, no, I can't say no.
1: Sounds pretty horrible.
0: I think it sounds kind of awesome.
1: It's pretty bad.
0: So, Jenny, you are a big music fan and you've watched a number of these documentaries. What did you think of the Billie Eilish doc?
1: So, wow, big question starting. I know, right off the top. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, yeah, I do. I like music a lot. And Billie Eilish is actually someone that I have followed for quite some time since i heard her song bored on 13 reasons why the television series yeah um i fell in love with that song it was actually i think my most played song on spotify that year so she is a very important musician to me even though i'm not like technically her age
0: right we're a little bit older from her demographic, right
1: That's always weird for me is that I feel like I like a lot of younger music because maybe I have a fear of growing old, I don't know. I just like music a lot, so (laughs) it happens. (laughs) What I really liked about Billie Eilish's doc versus like a lot of other ones, and I watch a lot of music documentaries, especially pop music ones, I'm fascinated by how little to how much a pop musician will let their audience into their life.
0: For example,
1: the Ariana Grande, documentary that came out last year was mostly her stage performance and had little snippets of her life in it, Mm -hmm. but she's clearly someone that's like really like conservative about how much she shows about her interpersonal life, and the same thing goes for like last year, I think the big doc around this time was Miss Americana, Taylor Swift's documentary, which I Mm -hmm. had a lot of problems with. I thought that it was essentially a Wikipedia about her. Oh, Well, I feel like everyone knew the information already, except for she, as one of my really good friends says, she gives us crumbs and we're supposed to eat it like a meal.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, you're so right. She just sits there and she's like, I'll give you this one snippet of new information. And then people freak out and like are obsessed with the documentary itself. And it's a fine documentary as far as like cutting and editing goes. And I do love how she's one of the few pop musicians that have gone with a female director because a lot Mm. of these people go with a white male director, including Billie Eilish. Yep. (laughs) I don't necessarily think that's actually their choice sometimes. But uh, we can get into that too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a specific situation. So folks, if you haven't seen the documentary, the full title is called Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. And it just came out uh, at the end of February on Apple TV and in some, I gather, IMAX theaters via Neon, but we're not going to theaters, so that's fine. And it's directed by R.J. Cutler, and he's a relatively well-known documentary filmmaker. So there's a certain pedigree to having him because he did stuff like The War Room, A Perfect Candidate, the September issue, and then the nonfiction television series American High. So if nothing else, this guy is actually quite a big deal will likely cover him again on the main feed at some point, because he also directed If I Stay, which is an interesting young adult adaptation film. But the documentary follows Billie Eilish for about a year as she's making her feature album, or her first album. She goes to Coachella, she goes on what seems like a world tour, but it is very candid, which is something that surprised me.
1: Yeah, it surprised me a little bit. I wasn't really expecting anything past a concert doc or like mm-hmm. something showing how she gets bigger and bigger as it goes on and then her going, oh, yes. wow, this is such a nice surprise. <laughs> She's really humble, which comes across in the documentary, I think, pretty mm-hmm. well. But it goes a little deeper than I expected and like her emotions and her feeling and how her fame is really built around her family unit. And she has that like really strong family unit versus I think a lot of pop singers don't as much or their family unit loves to like kind of stay in a backseat or they're like a show family.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, or like the momager kind of role, right?
1: Yeah, but this one, it seems like it's really supportive family. It's a family that I wanted to live in. I was like, man, how do I get this family? (laughs) (laughs) How do I get to be this close to my brother, my mom and my dad, oh man. I'm really impressed that they're so strong.
0: Yeah, it, it's a very interesting dynamic. So I I gather you knew stuff about her before you went into the doc. I knew nothing apart from one or two songs that I've heard before. So it was a fascinating entry point because I did expect it to be more of a concert doc. And I thought it would be, you know, following, yeah, the big year, her, her meteoric rise to superstardom. And it does do that in part, but it's very focused or maybe as equally focused on these candid intimate moments and a lot of them do surround her relationships with her brother Phineas who is her co-writer for a lot of songs and then her mom who is a bit of the manager like she's she's a little bit more concerned with PR and protecting Billy and then the character that I love the most is her dad who feels like he could be anybody's dad and he's just washing cars and like eating cereal in the background in half of these scenes
1: I love her dad he's like the takeaway like came- of the documentary.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think one of my favorite scenes, and I'm really impressed that this was caught on camera and it was so candid and kind of beautiful, is when Eilish gets her driver's license and then she drives off to meet her boyfriend, which Mm -hmm. we've just kind of found out he has some anger issues.
0: I have thoughts about the boyfriend.
1: (laughs) Oh, I think a lot of people do. But we found out he has anger issues and the family knows Eilish is open with her parents. She tells her ba- them basically everything.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And the dad has this lovely monologue where it's almost like it was taken out of boyhood.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where he's,
1: like, talking about, like, oh, we have to let kids just grow up. We can't really, like, hold them back. No one held us back. And... He kind of gets into the fact that it's like we can't, if we don't let them grow up they'll never learn and it's hard but this is what we had we have to do as parents and then mm-hmm. the mom comes outside
0: yes I love it
1: she's so sad that she drove away without saying goodbye and the dad is trying to like after he just had this emotional like opening crying almost in front of the camera he has to like calm the mom down and she's not like upset or anything she's just a little concerned and mm-hmm. kind of you know, offended that her daughter didn't say goodbye and he has to like talk her down and be like, it's okay. Yep. After he had to talk himself down. It's a really good moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it it's definitely the key stand up moment. I feel like almost every member of her family gets something kind of like that. And they're all so incredibly supportive of her. Like they really are. I don't want to say sacrificing because I think they're all celebrating her success, but to a certain regard, their lives are all about her life, which is what happens when somebody becomes mega famous like this, and particularly at a young age. But I do like that the documentary gives each of them these opportunities. Like there's another moment where the mom is just like casually making steamed milk or something in the kitchen and... Well, she talks at a couple different points about how Billy needs to be allowed to make mistakes. You can't protect people, but also people need to be there to keep these child stars in check. And she clearly is talking about herself. And I think she's also making a bit of a jab at Justin Bieber's mom. <laughs> and I've had it fascinating.
1: Oh, I yeah, okay, know the part you're talking about because she talks about going to the Bieber documentary, which... In a kind of an interesting uh, full circle, that Justin Bieber documentary, I think it's Never Say Never.
0: Mm-hmm. Never or Back Down. Becoming, whatever, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Never Say Never. That is like the pop music doc that changed the business of making pop music documentaries. So it's kind of interesting that this one, it, it's a little bit of a full circle moment because he shows up in the documentary.
0: Yes, and he's obviously so impactful in Billie Eilish's career like they've had a similar kind of like they broke big on the internet and then became mega famous but her celebrity idol was him so she's just like 10 years behind him or something
1: <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's interesting to think about it that way because Justin Bieber was something that I, at the time I felt like I was a little bit too old to get into him when he was like really mm-hmm. really young cuz he was mm-hmm. very Oh he was so young. young
0: yeah yeah He was like
1: a child and I was just getting into college. I know Never Say Never came out at the end of college for me. And I wasn't really into pop music at the time. So he just was something that was like totally off my radar.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like his brand of pop is also quite a bit more traditionally pop. Like one of the things that I think people really gravitate to with Eilish is that, I mean, I'll just use the words from the documentary. She's depressing. She's sad. She's moody, you know, all these kinds of things. And that's not the kind of thing that we typically associate with pop. And I'm putting air quotes that you can't see here. We don't associate those terms with pop music, right?
1: Not openly. I think there is a lot of pop music that is depressing. And I literally Mm -hmm. have a playlist that's called like,
0: (laughs) depressing pop.
1: (laughs) No, it's not called that. It's like something more a little bit more creative. I can like look it up. It's like tears on the dance floor.
0: Oh, I like it. I
1: know. I come up with really good ideas of her playlists. Follow my Spotify. (laughs)
0: We'll link to them in the show.
1: (laughs) But like pop music has always inherently been sad. And a lot of like, it feels like, I mean, you can look back to Taylor Swift, even mentioning her earlier, her music can get really depressing and sad. But I Mm -hmm. think what makes Billie Eilish a little different is that she is more stylized in a sense that makes people connect depression a little bit more like she's obviously Mm -hmm. influenced by a lot of emo music of my era and she's mentioned it before like my chemical romance is like one of her favorite bands like Mm. she is obsessed with that kind of music and so it this is probably why i connect to her music a lot it's because it's this pop music that is influenced by music that i used to love
0: Oh, interesting. So there's like a weird nostalgic connection. But it's obviously also evoking some of that music that you already like. So it's a kind of like a natural descendant.
1: Yeah, a little bit. And she's about that age where she literally grew up with emo music, like her brother Phineas, Mm -hmm. I think he's about maybe my age. He like wears a My Chemical Romance shirt after the Grammys. Like I have little brothers that love emo music because of me. So I feel like there might be a little bit of a connection between them, and kind of like this is her nostalgia. Like my brothers have told me one time, like oh, and I think of my childhood. I think of Panic at the Disco,
0: and mm. I'm like oh, because and of then you, I get emotional. Right? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I mean the the sibling relationship between them is interesting to the point where, again, as somebody who doesn't know anything about it, I was like, so that's her boyfriend, and I was like, oh no, that's her brother. There is a level of intimacy that on the offset, not knowing anything about her family dynamic. I was like, oh, they're very close.
1: They're just very close siblings, which actually I find extremely refreshing because usually you don't see siblings that are this close unless they're same gender. Mm -hmm. Like you see a lot of sisters that act the way that they both act with each other. And I, I think that's kind of refreshing to see. I also, I do like Phineas's music as well. I think he's interesting, but going back a little bit, there's a trend called bedroom pop, which I don't know if you've ever heard of this phrase before. I haven't. Yeah, well, a lot of people, I guess, wouldn't really put her in the bedroom pop like category because it's supposed to be like pop music that's like trimmed down and made literally in your bedroom. But that's Mm -hmm. exactly what she is doing. Yes. My boyfriend loves bedroom pop a lot. Like, um, Claro is another really good example of it. But I mean, Billie Eilish is like the queen of bedroom pop, if you kind of think of it this way, because she literally makes music from her bedroom Mm -hmm. with her family. And it's so tight knit. It's actually kind of impressive how like stylized her music is just coming out of someone's like literal bedroom.
0: Oh, 100%. I had no idea. Like I kept waiting for shots of her in the recording studio surrounded by suits. And like, we do see moments where there are clearly music executives who are in the room and they're you know kind of parlaying a little bit of like okay this is what we're expecting you to give us but there's so many scenes of her and phineas you know with sheets over the windows just recording a grammy award-winning track <laughs> with like a handheld mic and i am a terrible acoustics it's fascinating
1: It's interesting because I was watching Selena plus Chef for season two, and she talked about recording at home and how different it is. Mm -hmm. And it is different. And I think for For especially a pop musician like her, who also came up around the Bieber era, like you are so used to like recording in a studio. But Mm -hmm. I think what Eilish proves, and a lot of these other bedroom pop singers as well, is that you can make really great music literally from your home. And I don't ever see Eilish going into a studio because... I mean she won Grammys making mm-hmm. music from her bedroom. It's her most she comfortable space. To. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of impressive.
0: That was really my big takeaway from this like I do have certain things where I was like, okay, I'm I'm interested in why certain scenes were prioritized or like the construction of the documentary as a documentary and so on. But my takeaway of her as a celebrity figure is not only just that she's very down to earth with a supportive family who is like remarkably well put together and not phased by the celebrity and the millions of dollars that she's probably worth now. They live in this regular-sized house, they have normal lives, and she's making music in the bedroom. It really speaks to the way that musicians specifically have evolved. For people of my age, which is like mid to late 30s, the idea of somebody being able to produce quality music in your bedroom is like ridiculous. It's not the kind of thing that normal people can do. And Justin Bieber and like Billie Eilish are completely mysterious to us. Like, how did these people get famous making music in a bedroom? And yet this documentary does a good job of clarifying just how easy that process is. But it's also like, oh, we've always made music. We just happen to then record it and turn it into massive award winning hundreds of thousands of copies sold kind of deal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of impressive if you like think about it in that way. Well, it also has a lot to do with her age group. And I think
0: Mm -hmm.
1: we talked about Justin Bieber, like getting really famous from the internet and like YouTube clips, but she is someone who kind of became big on SoundCloud. And she also constantly, which is probably why this documentary is so, as we mentioned, like intimate and the family doesn't seem to be really phased by a camera being in their faces because she literally always used to talk to people online Mm. via a window on the internet. Like, you know, It's interesting, we're the internet kids, but they're actually the internet kids where social media, like they would just go on a live chat and record themselves and talk to people they don't even know
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and make connections, which is why I find it really touching. The way she talks about her fans is really touching because she talks about them as like they're a part of her, like she would be here without them, like why would she treat them In a way that some celebrities treat fans, because Mm -hmm. they're the only reason she exists at this kind of enormous level.
0: Yeah, and that I think colors and influences the way that we as an audience see the way that she interacts with them in the more defined spaces we associate with major music stardom. Like, so when she's on tour, and she's like arriving in airports, and people are screaming, Oh, my God, I love you for me, I was like, Oh, okay, this is just like how the Beatles used to be and like all of these other big celebrities. But the difference is that she actually doesn't look at them as just Oh, these are the kids who buy my albums and make me money. These are extensions, like she really does feel differently about them than I think pop icons of the past would.
1: And I think that has a lot to do with the change and ebb and flow of fandom. I also do wonder if she is so young that That opinion might change when Mm -hmm. her fans become a little bit older and maybe even more scary because I know that fans can get scary. There are definitely a lot of horror stories about musicians where, I mean, one in particular that I was thinking of throughout the doc is that they show her house a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, people could find her house and probably have already found her house. Mm
0: hmm. And there's no protection, like she has security when she's on tour. And when she's like moving through public places, but we also see her out driving. And like, she barely has a gate in front of the house.
1: Literally, someone could come up to her window and knock on it. And that Mm -hmm. is something that to kind of bring it back to the emo music too, because I'm a huge fan of panic at the disco and know way too much. But Brendan Urie, for example, put his house on an album. And then fans found that house and came over And he had to move, and he has made sure that he does not take pictures of his house ever since. He's a little bit older now, and I wonder if, like, with age, that might change when fans are more able to drive, maybe that are a little Mm -hmm. bit more invested. But I don't know, it just depends from artist to artist, obviously. Like, Taylor Swift has to go out in a suitcase so she doesn't get mobbed, but Billie Eilish also seems to have a weird connection with not a weird connection with her fans, but like a A different connection. Yeah.
0: I'm curious. Okay, so let's shift and talk a little bit more about like how this documentary is constructed. Because one of the things I always feel like I need to address when I'm talking about a documentary is the idea that this has been created and edited with a particular... Story and narrative in mind. Like, this isn't just, oh, you know, we set up a camera and let it run and then we have this documentary. Like, very casual internet searches reveal that they shot like hundreds of hours of footage. The initial cut was 27 hours long. The final cut is two hours and 20 minutes. So, certain decisions were made, certain things were elevated and prioritized. And I'm interested what your take on. That is. So you mentioned that we're, we're getting more of an intimacy here. Do you think that there's a sort of deliberateness to that decision?
1: I mean, of course. I feel like as someone that works in documentaries, every Not documentary... kind of, Jenny.
0: Not kind of. You do work <laughs> in documentaries and video editing.
1: <laughs> That's okay. Fair. I do work in documentary film distribution. <laughs> and I watch a lot because of that. I'm very familiar with how documentaries are constructed. And like I think at the end of the day, well, obviously, they chose this path. And why did they choose this path? There is some sort of agency they have behind it
0: mm-hmm.
1: or like a point they're trying to make. But it's also to tell a story at the end of the day and make sure that story has a nice beginning, middle and end. And which I think that this documentary does really well. There is I think you mentioned it and I think you might be hinting at it because of this. <laughs> Her relationship part and choosing to put it so much in the forefront of this documentary is an interesting choice. Um, I think that one of the few things I discussed with my partner after that was he said, I wonder how important that guy really was in her life. Right. And he kind of questioned that because he knows that documentaries are framed around a story that Mm -hmm. they're trying to push. I wondered that too. But I also think that it's a deliberate choice to make her look more open when she talks about something that potentially hurt her.
0: Hmm. When I finished it, what came to mind was not just the arc. So in the documentary, for folks who haven't seen it, she's dating a guy named Q, he's never fully named. And they're only ever seen briefly together, like they only share a couple of scenes, but They show her talking on the phone to him and he is eventually revealed to have anger issues and near the end of the documentary they break up because Billy feels like they're just on different paths and he doesn't love himself and she can't change him. It's a lot of maturity for a young woman. She's 17 going on 18 over the course of this documentary but I did find it fascinating how that ends up getting juxtaposed with some of the questions about where her music originates and like, the dark themes that we see from reporters so she's interviewed at a couple of different stages on the tour and it's almost always by men it's almost always white men and they frequently ask her very to me inane and or stupid or intrusive questions and then to also see this relationship slowly devolving over the course of the doc I was like oh there's some weird stuff going on here with like how she is and is not an adult woman and how she is and is not sexualized.
1: Oh, on the last part, do you want to elaborate? Because it is interesting. And a lot of people have not necessarily critiqued her but critiqued reactions to her covering her body. Mm -hmm. It is her choice. And I think it's actually a really cool choice. But the critique is not necessarily that she does it. It's the reaction that Because she is a white woman doing it, it is more acceptable than a Middle Eastern woman doing it.
0: Right, yeah.
1: A Muslim woman doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily a critique on her so much as it is a critique on society and how they view things in little windows Mm -hmm. and how if it's in this window, it's okay, but if it's in that window, it's not okay. And it's interesting. I do kind of like how she is different and i wouldn't say it's because she like covers her body and doesn't want people to like look at it she has mentioned that she never wants men to judge her or to be judged based on what she looks like
0: mm-hmm. but i
1: also think there's a fashion behind it as well like her and q had obviously very similar fashion sense right i mean like she's clearly influenced by like gen z fashion trends which is more covered up and less exposed i would mm-hmm. say
0: Yeah, again, as somebody who just doesn't know that much about her and having to kind of piecemeal information about her and her life and her values and her upbringing and that kind of stuff. It was intriguing as a bit of a a blank slate going into this documentary and trying to figure out, okay, so I've heard a couple of her songs, but I don't know if she has like a religious background, because, you know, she talks about her obsession with Justin Bieber, and we know that he came from a more kind of conservative upbringing. And then he rebelled, and that got him into a certain amount of trouble. And there's even a section in this doc that talks about, you know, oh, should Billy be careful about her and Phineas actively speaking out against drugs and alcohol, because that could come back to bite her in the butt later on. Yeah, thinking about the fashion, the fashion that she gets sent before her set on Coachella, and it's all very in line with the kind of fashion that she wears, which is more covered up. It's almost masculine, longer shorts, and like chunky tees, and it's very much in the style of the kind of music that she's singing. And yet her songs are about... Not sex per se, but like she talks about relationships to the point where I couldn't figure out if she and Q were having that level of intimacy in their relationship because she is just never presented as a sexualized figure, like as an object of desire, which is good because she's an underage girl, but also it's weird Because pop musicians are so typically like, I'm thinking of Ariana Grande, I'm thinking of Taylor Swift, where we know about their sex lives, and we see a lot of their skin, and they use their sexuality to a certain degree to identify themselves. So Billy is like, just very different in a lot of those ways. And the doc frames her as a complex figure, because she is doing all of this. And also none of it at the same time. Like it it is almost like your Windows analogy where we're seeing little glimpses into everything.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a really interesting way of saying it. I also think Billy herself in the documentary, she like she mentioned, she loves Ariana Grande, I think at one point. And she sings Tovlo mm-hmm. at another point, which that is a pop singer who is maybe not as big in the US as she is in Australia. I love her. I love but, her. But uh she like will take off her shirt on stage. Oh wow and okay. yeah oh, She's great. But, uh, (laughs) like, she clearly has this admiration for these other singers that do things in a certain way and never discounts how they do it. It's Mm -hmm. just what she feels comfortable with, which I did find that conversation very interesting when the mom is like, well, what if you change your mind? And then she's like, aren't people allowed to change their minds? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I was like, in a world where people don't like when people change their minds and views and outlooks on things, I thought that was really mature of her to say on camera.
0: She is surprisingly mature. Like in some ways, she's a bit of a brat. Like there were times where I was like, don't talk to your parents this way. Like don't swear at them. Don't be so glib or like look at your phone when they're trying to have conversations with you. But then at other point, like immediately when the documentary opens, she's actually shown conceiving of the entire direction and look for this iconic music video that she does.
1: I think that's when the party's over.
0: Yes, yes. But it's like, we get this extended sequence of her literally filming her mom the way that she envisions it being filmed. So it's not just that she's like an artist with a creative vision. She knows what she wants. She has her morals and her values. And she's able to speak about them rather eloquently, to the point where I sometimes forgot that she was only 17 going on 18. And it's a fascinating polarity in some of those ways because i think too often we dismiss teenagers as dumb or oh they're so young they don't know what they want and like that conversation where she talks about oh yeah i could change my mind and isn't that going to be okay like that is so mature i didn't have that kind of insight when i was 17 years old
1: (laughs) I mean, when I was very anti-alcohol, when I was 17 years old, mm-hmm. I never thought that I could change my mind. I was, right. I was like, nope, I am so firm. I will never drink in my entire life. Cue one week before I turned 21 <laughs> where that mindset totally went off the rails.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because we are human beings and we we change and we grow and sometimes we make good decisions and sometimes we make bad ones and we have to live with them. and I think it's fascinating to see a massive public figure be so candid and eloquent. At the end of the day, that was one of the things I ended up liking the most about the documentary. I found it a touch indulgent at two and a half, like nearly two and a half hours uh, as a casual viewer. And there were certain things where like, as a novice to her, I still feel like I don't entirely know certain things where I'm like, these are little details that I would have expected to learn. But overall, I found that the documentary was really good at painting her as a complex individual. Like, she's just got a lot going on. And she's kind of handling it remarkably well.
1: Yeah, I mean, she is handling it well, where I feel like I personally wouldn't. No. I also find it very interesting because I feel like these young performers pop up like every few years or so. I think before this, I would consider Lord, maybe like yes. obviously a huge influence of hers. That was who I thought of. Yes. But she's like was really young. She was 17 when her first album came out. And there was a remarkable maturity to that as well, mm-hmm. especially her second album. Yes. And I often wonder if because maybe... We don't see ourselves as emotionally like stable and mature when we were young. That doesn't mean we still had mature thoughts and feelings and maybe could process things a little bit better. And I think that maybe what I'm trying to get at is that sometimes if you hit a certain age of adulthood, you don't give younger people enough credit for being smart.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, you you run a YA podcast. You probably think this all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, more than anything, I feel like the more I read and watch YA properties... Yeah, we've identified a number of, like, tropes and characteristics that are like, oh, okay, sure, we've seen this a million times before. But more often than not, it's made me realize that we should be giving young people more credit for being able to handle heavy stuff, dark stuff, meaningful things, that just because you're young doesn't mean, yeah, that you're stupid or naive as we said, like, you may change your mind, you may grow and evolve and, and develop something more complex. But really, it shone a very reflective beam back on me about like, how judgy I am about young people
1: and what they're capable of. Yeah, and I mean, you're always gonna find a young person that probably is not as emotionally mature as another one I mean but I think that's just the difference in people there are also people my age that are not the same maturity level as maybe even Billie Eilish
0: (laughs) absolutely yes (laughs) well that seems like maybe a good place to wrap up but um do you have any final thoughts on the Billie Eilish doc
1: I do have like one ad like one of my favorite scenes Mm -hmm. is after she breaks up with Q It's the scene that hit me the most, I guess, post-pandemic, maybe miss going to concerts a lot. Mm. I actually saw her during this festival tour that she did, like a little bit after. But when she sings I Love You, and then she's in the final verses, and her voice just cracks on stage. Oh, yeah. Because she's obviously feeling the song, and... It, debatable if that song was actually written about him, but it's still in the moment. That song hits hard. Like, I even mm-hmm. cry when I'm at home and I listen to it. And her brother just kind of rubbing her on her back, just trying to get her through the song. Yeah. It's a good moment. And it just, oh, man, I I wish more pop docs were this open, I guess, and yes. thorough versus just really shallow. Mm-hmm. I mean I know I said it but Miss Americana also to me felt shallow and I think one of the bigger differences between that doc and this one is you can take it down to as one of my friends mentioned he said like their reactions to the Grammys where Taylor Swift immediately opens Miss Americana with I didn't get Grammy nominations for this album that's sexist
0: and I'm like you what
1: she's like it's cuz I'm a woman and it's oh like gosh. uh Taylor you've gotten Grammy nominations for every album before this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Billie Eilish it's it's really charming seeing her being like, "Why are you waking me up?" and then getting really like, gradually like happy mm-hmm. where her parents waking her up with the news and how she's just more humble about it and I hope that she never gets to that stage cuz she is so successful and she could change. Yes. But I hope she never gets to the stage where she uses And I say this really lightly because I'm like, I have mixed feelings on Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. but uses feminism sometimes as a more personal vendetta than it actually is. And I think Taylor Swift has done a lot of great things. But I'd also think like she sometimes is a millennial in the sense that she can have like feminist ideologies and not really have them in check because she is so famous.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a distinction in the humility between the two artists and even the idea of using a documentary as a bit of a fabricated PR strategy. I mean, I don't doubt that at the end of the day, Billie Eilish agreed to do this because it's like an opportunity to connect with people and to have her story heard. And, you know, obviously that helps to sell records and gain media influence and that kind of stuff. But it also feels like those two properties, the Billie Eilish doc and the Taylor Swift doc... They have very different. Uh, they're working towards very different ends. We shall say.
1: Yes, I think that uh, the Taylor Swift doc's end was a PR journey of her mm-hmm. getting a Grammy for her album that yes. was coming out after the one that tanked.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and this one, I mean, you can argue that it's her like plea for maybe an Oscar for the No Time to Die single, right? Because in theory, this would have came out right before the oscar perfect. voting yes. yeah in theory <laughs> but i also don't think it's that way for her i think that yes there's probably some studios saying like we need this your fans will love it mm-hmm. but i think that because she grew up in a way where she was so open and on online with her fans that's why the doc is the way it is and yes. it feels more down to earth
0: yeah this is just an Honest. extension of what she's always done
1: yeah, pretty much. It's like, that's why it feels more genuine from a genuine space, I think, than most pop docs. It's because she's always done this. It's not really anything new. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Which is hilarious, though, because when you read the reviews, that's what almost everyone says. Oh my gosh, how did you get her to open up? How did you get her to be so candid and intimate? It's like... It makes me wonder about the disconnect between journalists and the way that they report on public figures and how much do they actually know about their subjects? Because it sounds like from what you said, if people knew anything about her, they would know that it wouldn't be that hard to get her to do this.
1: I mean, yeah, I think I hope that in my review, it didn't come across like, oh, I'm so shocked. I just I I praised its intimacy, because I think that it is just a lot better than most pop docs tend to go. And I think like for a good example is the Ariana Grande one from last year which was mostly a concert doc yeah but she shows herself watching Midsommar or Midsommar however you prefer to pronounce it (laughs) with some friends she doesn't say it but it is clearly after she uh breaks up with Pete Davidson and she's showing this like therapeutic breakup movie to countless friends and I was like well that's a nice little like token we get as fans to know that i mean we knew she liked the movie but it's kind of like nice to see but it's still not open no i would love that but it's also a prerogative thing for the performer
0: yeah yeah no that's true okay so jenny if people want to track you down find you on tiktok follow your writing and your video production stuff how would they do so
1: Oh, my God, on my TikTok. (laughs) Um, Well, I am the same across the board. My Twitter, Instagram, letterboxed, even my TikTok is Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, Lee, L-E-I-G-H, X-3-3. So I I try to keep it like the same and on brand.
0: There you go. I
1: also can be found at the Austin Chronicle. You could read my review on Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry, at the Austin Chronicle. Yeah. And I also do video essays over at Certified Forgotten. So check those out on YouTube.
0: Excellent. Okay, well, thank you again so much for coming on this guest episode. I would likely have never checked out this documentary. So I am happy to have had the excuse to watch it and chat with you about it.
1: Oh, I'm happy I'm the one that convinced you I had no idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this this was like not on my to do list. So I thank you for that.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in touch with the show, uh, we are at HKHSpod on Twitter. If you want to send us an email, it's at HKHSpod at gmail.com. If you want to get a hold of me, I am at B, stole my remote, and that's the letter B next week unfortunately Brenna will not be back with us just yet so we are going to do a full length adaptation with a guest and we're going to be talking about the novel Ten which is a redo of the Agatha Christie novel and then there were none and that is by Gretchen McNeil as well as the lifetime adaptation of it called Ten Murder Island <laughs> so pray for me Jenny <laughs> I love that. Murder Island. Yeah, it could be great. It could be terrible. We'll find out next week. So until then, we will see you on the page as well as on the screen.